0: A very good morning, uh, Brad Lewis here with you on Summer Days on SCNZ, didn't even know what the name of the show was until I heard that, uh, that little intro from uh, our voice, our voice of the voiceless, uh, I'm here writing shotgun alongside uh, Robbie uh, in the producer uh, chair this afternoon Uh, we'll take you through to about 2 o'clock and then the great Stephen McIver with the holidays edition of The Run Home uh, taking through the evening Um, we have a pretty cool show for you today Uh, Adam Summerton coming up very very shortly been a massive week in the Premier League Uh, Adam one of uh, the the Premier Football commentators across over there in the UK does a little bit of stuff with TalkSport ITV among others Uh, we'll have a chat to him about what's going on in the EPL Joseph Parker on the show after midday Uh, Garth Galloway talking cricket, man what a crock of a team South Africa is sending over here uh, for that Test Series uh, early next year, I think it's early this year, February of course, um, so we'll hear from uh, Garth on that um, and also talk some MMA with Paddy Baines uh, after one and we'll finish the show with David Long, uh, big day at the uh, ASB Tennis event just down the road here in Parnell, um, we'll hear from David, um, he's out of stuff a little bit later on, Massive, massive week, two weeks of tennis. Summer of sport here in New Zealand. It is 29 minutes away from 12. What we'll do is we'll get a quick break out of the way. And when we come back, Adam Summerton talking Premier League football here on SCNZ Summer Days. Well, it may be a quiet time for sports in uh, New Zealand at the moment but I tell you where it's not quiet is over there in the UK the English Premier League it feels like there's been a fixture every day for about the last week and I think there probably has been and this morning Liverpool cementing their slot at the top of the Premier League with a real hard fought 4-2 win over Newcastle in a game Uh, which uh, wasn't really decided until the very, very end of it. And joining us uh, on the line is a friend out of the UK, football commentator extraordinaire, Adam Somerton, uh, who you can also hear sometimes on Netflix's uh, Welcome to Wrexham Doco. Adam, how are you, my friend? I'm really good. Good to speak to you again. It's great to speak to you. Um, just before I, I get into the football, that was a pleasant surprise. As I'm watching Welcome to Wrexham, I think it was the maybe the back end of the <laughs> the second season, and you're calling um, what was a fantastic game of football, and all of a sudden your name, I'm um, like, that's. I'm sure that's Adam Summerton.
1: <laughs> yeah, do you know it's amazing how many people I've have, have said this to me, like friends who I've not spoken to for literally years. I'm <laughs> sure that's... So it's been it's been quite funny, yeah, because we we were really lucky to cover Wrexham and and well Wrexham and not County's title race last season, and we got some some of the most enjoyable games I think I've ever watched, and I've covered all levels of the game. It was it was absolutely brilliant. I'm I'm still waiting for my royalties check off of Robin Ryan I, I must chase that one but uh...
0: <laughs> I, 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 I gotta say yeah. like uh, I mean that documentary's turned my son into a Wrexham fan and I think um uh, there's a lot of Americans that are Wrexham fans and what you know R- Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney have done for that club um is really really cool and now they're flying high I think in in a playoff spot or at least even an automatic promotion spot um in league two um the story just keeps getting better and better for for Wrexham and their fans
1: yeah, absolutely. And Paul Mullins just signed a new contract as well. I think Elliot Lee might off too, so they're keeping their best players as well. Um, and it's not just Wrexham. I mean, not County are right up there who got promoted with them. They lost today, not, but they're right in the race for promotion again. You've got Stockport there mm. uh, who got promoted from the National League the season before. Um, Barrow were up there who got promoted, I think it was three or four seasons ago. So yeah, a lot of the clubs who've gone up uh, have done really well, which is it's great to see.
0: Could we see Wrexham in the Premier League in four, five years' time? Do you think that's a possibility? Or, or will they need, think, need a yeah. bit more backing?
1: I think it, it's possible. Um, I think that to do it in that time frame would be a tall order, a big ask. But I think what Wrexham have got in their favour, the other clubs who maybe have made that leap um, like, for example, Salford City, who got you know very famous owners themselves, the class of 92, the Manchester United players. Mm. The difference between... They, they've they really struggled to, to progress once they got out of the National League. They, they had a, a near miss, I think it was last season, in the playoffs, certainly very recently. But other than that, they've just struggled to make that next step. And I think that's partly because they were always a very, very small club with a very small supporter base whereas Wrexham already have that big stadium that's already being expanded. They've they've got a a very well-established, large supporter base. And that's important because it generates their own money. So when it comes to things like financial fair play, There are a lot more restrictions. It's a lot harder for a club like Salford City by their own means Mm. to be able to make that progress financially because they've always got to balance the books, if you like, and they've got less revenue coming in. Whereas Wrexham have got the revenue of, you know, a a big supporter base, but then also extra revenue streams now that have been generated by their owners. Um, And, you know, the the merchandising, for example, that's going all over the world now for Wrexham. So in that respect, I think they're much better set up to progress further, um, but it, but it, it won't be easy. I think once you, once you get to say League One, that and then maybe as you're looking to go up from League One to the Championship, I then think it, it's an, it's a whole new ball game financially again. Uh, and I think that is is where they might find it difficult. But but they've got the the, the people there and they've got the will and the dedication. To eventually get to the Premier League, yes, I do. I do think they have got that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, no doubt we'll be keeping watch on Netflix, Doctor, for the latest on that. Um, Adam, this seems like a Premier League season where no one wants to win. Uh, like you know, like uh, you know, City had a, had a poor run there, and uh, and now, and the thing about City is everyone's, oh, City's having a poor season. They're um on, if, if they got a game in hand. They could be two points off the top of the table. That's how good this side is. But but Arsenal's been the real struggler over this period of time. With what one point probably in their hardest game on paper, which was Liverpool at Anfield. Um, I mean, at the start of the the Christmas period, they would have been stoked with that result. But man, they've really fallen off the wayside from first to fourth. But it just seems that that no. No one really wants to, to win this league at the moment. I know that's not the case, but uh, everyone's struggling to, to get away, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very competitive, and it makes it great viewing for the neutral, I have to say. And Liverpool now three points clear after their victory tonight over Newcastle. Um, as you say, though, Manchester City do have that game in hand, and I, I would still make, if I, if I were forced to, if I had to predict a winner right at this moment, I would still go for Manchester City simply because of, you know, the... The amount of times they've been there and done it, yes, as you rightly say, that they've not hit the, the heights yet in the Premier League that we know that they're capable of this season. But it's made it—it's making it more interesting for everybody else because the—the you know, fear was that City would run away with it again this season. But they've lost Kevin De Bruyne to, to injury. He's—he's he's close to a return now. Uh, he's been a really big miss. I mean, one of the, the best midfield players the Premier League has ever seen. Any side is going to miss a player of that calibre. Rodri has had one or two little spells out injured. He's, again, so important for them in the midfields. Um, Harlan's been out just recently too. So they've had one or two injury problems. I think if you win a treble, you know, like they did last season, there has to you, you maybe do lose that little bit of an edge. I mean, they would never admit to it. But, you know, if you've been there and you've gone on and you've won a treble, I mean, I, 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 I suppose that any sports person's hunger might just sort of drop a little bit when you've hit those heights and to go and do it again immediately. I wonder whether that is perhaps another little factor here with City this season. But um, I fully expect them to come on strong in the second half of the season. Liverpool have not had a better chance of winning the title since they last won it um, during the, the COVID-interrupted season. And, and Arsenal are a, a real conundrum, aren't they? Because you look at them and you think, is this going to be their year now look City are faltering a little bit we saw how they pushed City right towards the end last season you think well maybe this is going to be Arsenal's year Um, but you're right to point out the last couple of games particularly the last game against Fulham they just looked a bit jaded I thought Mm. which which would be setting off one or two alarm bells but you know they've got the quality they've got the quality to go on and win it but there's a mental factor to it all as well and that's why you look particularly to Liverpool and City at this point as the last two sides to win the Premier League title. And you just think, how much of an edge will that give them as well? So it's going to be a fascinating second half of the season. You can't discount as well clubs like Villa and Spurs, particularly You know, Villa have surprised a lot of people. Spurs have got a lot of quality but have had a lot of injuries recently Postacoglu completely transformed them so I don't think you can discount those two teams they, they deserve to, to be in the conversation but for me it will I think ultimately boil down to a race between City, Liverpool and Arsenal you,
0: you look at Arsenal over the course of the last five games four points from 15 and I think in a season where you've got niggly sides like Villa, Tottenham and West Ham all performing above what we thought you can't afford a period of play where in, in five games you only score four points, and you're losing points to teams that are below the top 10.
1: Yeah, and I thought West Ham did a real job on them. I, I was surprised to hear Arteta say that he felt his side really deserved to win that game, because yeah. I thought West Ham were fantastic that night. I thought that they defended so well and, and took the chances when they came their way. I know that it was a, a lot of controversy over the first goal, and I don't think we'll ever truly know whether that was in or out. It's so hard mm. to tell. But... I I was really impressed by West Ham that that, um, that night, and you know they're sort of the team just outside of that top five. They're six, but they've in, you know they've impressed a lot of people this season. Built well on their European success of last season, I think they've got a lovely blend in their midfield and good forward players like us who they're going to lose to the Africa Cup of Nations now. And Bowen has been absolutely fantastic, hasn't he? So um, yeah, but I agree what you said about Arsenal. I, I think that. I think people are always looking at Arsenal and just wondering whether they've they they completely got rid of all that mental fragility out of the the squad as a whole that held them back for so many years. You know, you looked at Arsenal at times, not not last season, but in seasons prior to that and you look and you thought there's a weakness about them at times at big moments when you really need them to step up. You just wonder whether there's a little bit of a fragility to them. and that certainly wasn't the case for the vast majority of last season, and people will always be looking to watch and see, well, you know, who can handle this because that's a big factor in terms of winning a Premier League title. You know, can you ha- handle the the pressure mentally? Because it's it's absolutely. Um, it's so demanding, isn't it? It's it's Mm. that grind of week in, week out. Teams know they're going to be tested. And a team like Fulham can roll you over if if you're not at it, as as Arsenal weren't the other day.
0: Adam, a couple of questions to wrap. Thank you so much for your time. Um, First of all, was the biggest misstep in the last 10 years of the Manchester United Football Club sacking David Moyes after one season? I mean, i look at the turmoil because he had the worst job in the history of football, and that is to manage... Yeah. United, off the back of Sir Alex Ferguson, you could have put Pep Guardiola, you could have put the greatest manager of all time in there, and he probably would have struggled. And, and for me, I think Moyes has proved over the course of time that that was a poor decision, when I think they finished in the top four anyway, from the United board to get rid of David Moyes. And I know Sir Alex Ferguson was against that decision to remove him as well.
1: Well, he's a fantastic manager. I interviewed him recently, actually, and it was at a time after you know after they lost to Liverpool in the League Cup and he's come under a lot of criticism for the team that he picked. Yes. And, I, and I sort of said to him, I was really surprised just how critical people have been of Moyes when you look at his track record at West Ham. And I just said to him, look, you four years coming up, four years in charge here. You've had the, the highest league finish in 22 years, first major trophy in 43 years. You must be pretty proud of that. And he said thanks for pointing that out because you know he just felt like he'd come under a real barrage of criticism you make a great point in terms of the Manchester United job it was the same for Unai Emery when he went in at Arsenal after Mm. Arsene Wenger very similar circumstances you don't want to be that next guy in and maybe there there was a part of that but I think the whole culture at Manchester United since Ferguson left it's not been conducive really to success that not certainly not on a, a long term basis for any manager. Look at the names you've been there. You're great for the game like Mourinho, Van haal is somebody who's, who's done some great things during his coaching career. Solskjaer for me was never the right appointment. I thought that was a terrible decision in the, in the first place. But, you know, you look at some of the coaches that, that, that they've been through there. Um, and David. I include David Moyes in that. And, you know, these are, are well established successful names in the game particularly Mourinho and van hal i mean moyes hasn't won a great deal but he's he's done great things you know for example getting everton into europe when he did you know getting them into the top 4 he's he's, he's done well in his career um but yeah, I mean Manchester United. There's, there's so much. There's so many bigger problems at Manchester United. I would say even now than there is of the manager Van Gaal. For me, is nowhere near Manchester United's biggest problem. Yeah. But he will ultimately carry the can, and, and I would be surprised if he sees out the season. But as I say, I don't think he's anywhere near their, their biggest problem. It's the culture at United. It's absolutely rotten to the core, and and you know that has been proved time after time after time. And how many more managers need to go before? You know, it's that <laughs> the people who are perhaps really causing the problems uh, pay with their jobs.
0: As a Liverpool supporter, keep on doing what you're doing, Manchester United. No, keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, final final question, Adam. I want to talk about Chris Wood just briefly. Um, 62 goals in the Premier League now, he scored a hat trick last week. He scored four goals in three games under the new manager. Uh, 62 goals in the Premier League uh, has overtaken David Beckham, Andy Carroll, a couple of other really good players as well. Uh, and uh, over the course of a 13 year professional. Career uh, just keeps going and going and going, and and there's you know there's a discussion starting to develop in New Zealand whether or not he is surpassing Winton Roofer as New Zealand's greatest ever footballer. But you know your your thoughts as a neutral on on what Chris Wood offers for for any Premier League side that he plays for?
1: Well, the hat trick he got against his former club, club Newcastle was just fantastic. Yes. Well, I live in Nottingham, and you know he's he's very well liked here, um, no doubt about that. And I I just think that he's He's a very honest footballer isn't it. You know what you're going to get from him. Um he's very committed. I think he's got a great attitude. He, he's a good finisher. He's very useful if you play to his strengths as well. I don't think he's always in his career in in the English Premier League. I'm not sure that's always been the case. Mm. He's certainly not always been a regular starter everywhere that he's gone, but when he's, you know, when he gets opportunities he, he, there is a consistency at times about him as well, isn't there? You know, he he's done I know there have been times when he's not been able to get in teams where obviously you can't score if you're not in the team, can you? But mm-hmm. you know he's somebody who, who's, who's very often delivered for, for managers and for teams that he's been at. And I think he's one of the greats of New Zealand football, isn't he? I think he's right up there in, in terms of, of that category. And I just mm-hmm. hope that he's inspiring people, inspiring young players in New Zealand as well. You know, the most watched league in the world that he's playing in. And, and I just hope that that is helping to generate more young talent in New Zealand's and 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 young players who might ultimately make the step to come over here as well and and, and play in the English in Premier League or one of the other top European leagues. I think he's a big inspiration in that respect, and and to have the longevity that he has at this level in this league, I think he's really impressive.
0: Yeah, he's um he's a good bloke too. Uh, finally, I know that uh you've got a passion for Italian football. Last year, Serie A, one of the greatest league seasons of all time. How how has it been uh, this season uh, in Serie A this year, uh, Adam? or well, this season?
1: Well, the champions Napoli just just haven't lived up to anything like what they were last season after seeing their manager Spalletti take the Italian job and um, they lost their, one of their key defenders in Kim. Um, they've just not hit anything like the levels. Um, Milan are stuttering. It, it really does look like it's interest to lose. I mean, I know that Juventus are still up there with them. They're just about keeping pace with them. But if you're asking me right now who is the best team in Italy, I would say that although the table doesn't necessarily suggest this, I would say that Inter are by some distance for me the best team in Italy right now. And look, I mean, they messed it up a bit on in terms of the last two games in the Champions League group stage to not win their group, which is you know perhaps going to hurt them now in, in the round of 16 in terms of not being one of the top seeds. But I, I think there's still a chance that they could go a long way in the Champions League again. There's a great balance about them. Um, Lautaro Martinez is linked up superbly with Turam. There's a great understanding there. Jan Sommer is coming in goal and has proven an upgrade in terms of clean sheets, certainly on Onana. And they just look such a well-balanced, well-coached team. Mm. Into, and I would fully expect them to go on and, and win the title now. I mean, their city rivals, Milan, are a big story because... You know, he won the league a couple of years ago and there's a lot of talk continually that purely, you know, could lose his job. So that's something to keep an eye on. And Juve are grinding out results very often, but not in, with any great style. They're not great to watch, <laughs> but they are just about keeping pace at the moment with uh, with Inter. So we'll see what they can do in the second half of the season. But uh, yeah, Napoli have, have, have really been disappointing this season, how much they've dropped off, really.
0: Adam Asamerton, always a pleasure. A happy new year to you and yours and we'll catch up again soon. Same to you. Take care. UK football commentator Adam Summerton there on uh, Summer Days here on SENZ. It's coming up eight minutes to midday. Uh, So just looking at the Premier League table, uh, Liverpool cementing that spot at the top of the league, 45 points from 20 games, six uh, draws and a loss uh, going with 13 wins. Uh, Villa are in second, 42 points from the same amount of games. City uh, have a game in hand, five points behind Liverpool, uh, and Arsenal uh, make out the top four on 40 points. Spurs, West Ham and United... Uh, Also there or thereabouts, United 14 points off the lead. Uh, And at the bottom of the table, it's the three promoted teams from last year, Sheffield United, Burnley and Luton Town. But double eight, double three on Chris Wood Uh, and his longevity in the elite level of top football. Is he approaching... Winton Roof, roofer esque I know he's probably never going to win a European title, never win a, a league title, um, certainly if he stays at Nottingham Forest that's not going to happen but man the dude just keeps going and going and going, more Premier League goals than David Beckham I know they're different players, different positions but at the end of the day that's that's a great achievement and more goals than Andy Carroll who once played Champions League football for Liverpool as an example, Double eight, double three, and also really keen get today guys to get your sporting new year's resolution you know we talk about all these resolutions you know weight loss give up smoking give up booze whatever it may be uh but but what's your sporting new year's resolution uh mine is to watch more of ryan fox i really need to get uh, golf is the one sport that i uh I don't give enough time to, I think, and I enjoy playing it. Not very good at it, but I do enjoy playing it. I want to dedicate more of the time that I do have to watch sport to watching Ryan Fox, um, and also really hoping that he wins a major in, in 2023. But what is your New Year's sporting resolution? Uh, almost 11.55 uh, here on Summer Days. Joseph Parker making waves in the heavyweight division. His promoter says he wants to fight Alexander Usek, who is uh, fighting... Tyson Fury for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world early ne- early this year, my goodness it's 2024 isn't it, I'm, I'm going to keep saying right, next year, uh, he's coming up on the show after midday, uh, does he want to put himself in a position where he will fight Usyk, should Usyk uh, defeat Tyson Fury and claim the WBC title to go to with his IBF, WBO and WBA heavyweight championships? We'll ask Joe about that. Of course, Joseph, the former WBO heavyweight champion in his own rights. Uh, And also coming up on the show later uh, on Garth Galloway, Around 12.30, 12, 12.35 12, on all things cricket. There's also a bit of live sport around today including Super Smash. We'll keep you updated on that. ASB Classic going on as well. We'll speak to David Long before uh, the end of the show at 2 o'clock. Uh, Kiwi monique Barry lost uh, yesterday afternoon uh, in her centre court d- debut. So uh, big doubles game tonight. Erin Routliffe, Paige, Oregon. Uh, that'll be, I think that game's around uh, 7 38 o'clock tonight. Um, so look out for that one. Kiwis in action on centre courts. Uh, but up next, it'll be Joseph Parker on Summer Days here on SNZ. Just got midday, Tuesday, the 2nd of January, 2024, folks. Yep, there's a four after the uh, 22. Uh, can you believe it? 2024. And someone who brought the new year in with an absolute bang, uh, career-defining performance, the best performance of his career, uh, former heavyweight champion of the world, Joseph Parker, who is kind enough on the 2nd of Jan to join us on the line uh, this afternoon here on SNZ. Joe, how are you, my friend?
2: Good afternoon, me, I am fantastic. I'm great. You know, it's good to be back in New Zealand, um, obviously with a good, good win to finish the year off and to start this year off with a bang. And um, I'm spending some good quality time with my family mm. and it's, uh, it's much needed after a long and hard but, but successful year.
0: Uh, and a busy year, Joe, uh, what, uh, four or five fights over the calendar year. Unheard of for a guy of your, your sort of caliber. You know, normally heavyweights sit at about two fights a year. Do you think that was a major part in your performance against the most dangerous boxer and the, uh, the most dangerous puncher in the heavyweight division and Deontay Wilder and Saudi last week?
2: You know, all the opponents i faced were good opponents. They weren't at the top level, but I think consistency of of keeping, like keeping in the, in the gym and keep keeping in the camp, but also the momentum of of fighting often. I think that really played a big part in leading up to that big fight with John T. Wilder. He was very, he wasn't as active. He was not as active as I, as I was, but I think with the activity that I had really helped me with that, the end of year fight. You know, we're able to adjust a few things in camp, adjust the diet, adjust the rest, strength strengthen conditioning, change it all up, and I think it just everything. Uh, Everything last year just um, was a success Mm. in terms of fighting and and, uh, making the camp a bit more, I don't know, just uh, 100% what I needed.
0: It's crazy, Joe. Like 13, thirteen, fourteen months ago, the loss to Joe Joyce and what was the fight of the year in the heavyweight division. People tend to forget that, I think. And then, you know, you're in a position there where you kind of have to take any fight that you get. And now you take the risk. You fight Deontay Wilder. I know there were other fights on the table potentially for you on that card, but you, you know, that that risk was taken, and you're now according to BoxRec the third ranked heavyweight on the planet. Uh, you know, you, you, you play a high-risk, high-reward sport, Joe. That's what you do. And to turn your career around in the space of 13 months goes to show what, what yourself and Andy Lee and the other people around you have put into the last 12 months.
2: You know, I think it's, um, even if things do get hard in life, like you can, you can use this in life, not just sports, but in life. Like As long as you have the belief in yourself and as long as you back yourself and you know what you want to achieve and you know what you can achieve, like nothing or no one should stop you, and I feel like uh, I had that belief, and I had the team around me, and I, I know I had to change a few things and adjust. And um, but but um, if you if you back yourself 100%, you're always going to achieve what you know you can achieve. It just and things do happen at the right time. You know, it may not be when I fought Joey Joyce, there wasn't my time. Hmm. But with consistency and and um, knowing what I could do, I was able just to you know with the help of everyone else, I was able just to keep going.
0: Joe, the the Deontay Wilder fight. A lot of people asking me before the fight, and spoke to a few boxing pundits as well. How that fight would go, and I said, look, if it goes twelve rounds, Joe's going to win like a hundred times out of a hundred because you know Deontay Wilder is not a point boxer, and, and Joe will pick him apart. Um, you know, and, and self admittedly, I, I wasn't sure if you'd be able to stay out of the range of that right hand. And I know he almost connected a couple of occasions, but you know, when you're going through that fight, did you start to gain confidence? I mean, I know you can go in with the game plan of. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But when you started to avoid that right hand and you had that sort of uppercut, that overhand right that was coming over the top, and everything that you worked on was clicking, and I could see in you the confidence growing, did, did you feel that as well, that, man, this guy's not going to catch me?
2: 100%. You're, 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 you're bang on there. Like in the beginning, you're always cautious. Like, is he going to come out firing? Is he going to come out and try to catch you with the right hand and get you out there early? Or is he going to take his time? When is he going to try to put it on you? And I feel like after the first round, I came back to the corner and Andy's like, hey, well, how was that? I said, all good. He goes, Are you ready to, to step it up? I said, yep. And then each round, like you said, I just got more and more confidence um, in, in what I was doing in the ring. And so I know Deontay well, is a big threat and a massive puncher and all that, but um, I think with the movement and also with the speed and then just not allowing him, you know, when he was trying to come in with his right hand, Andy said to me, fight fire with fire. And every time he tried to show that he was going to throw the right hand, I was going to show my right hand. And I felt like... Uh, you know, sometimes you can execute the game plan and and have a, a beautiful result and beautiful performance. Sometimes when you go in there, you can't execute the plan. It's uh, you know, it's not the best night. But I, I think that night was our night
0: indeed it was and and look sport's always interesting to me at the highest level Joe we see in team sport sometimes a change in coach um, regardless of how successful a team is can make a massive difference and look you had a tremendous amount of success under Kevin Barrera you won a world title um, before you turned the age of 25 which is unheard of uh, in this sport but like the the changes in your style the changes in in the advancement in your cardio and and your combination work uh, Andy Lee's really has made a really big difference to your career and and like guess the fresh approach has helped remotivate you, yeah.
2: Oh, listen, the motivation factor is is, is, is high at the moment, and I did achieve a lot of great things with, with Kevin. And real, listen, thanks to him for all the help, and even win, winning a world title together. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in the position where I am today. But mm. linking up with Andy Lee, that was it was a great link up, and I'm still learning along the way. But then I think the biggest change as well would be George Lockhart coming on board. So I think those two together, I've I've I really found. What works for me you know like the recovery the balancing of the food and also the um, you know strength and conditioning and boxing and putting them all together and even like outside of camp even now even though we're in holiday mode um I'm still this morning I did the hour of cardio yesterday I did an hour of cardio tomorrow i do a bit of weights but I think it's just keep like the importance of keeping in shape and knowing that my body is what's gonna be on the line and fight so mm-hmm. in, the, in the past I haven't been the best in uh, and keeping healthy and also keeping in shape but now I feel like it's uh, everything has clicked, I'm I'm more mature now (laughs) as a a fighter and as a husband.
0: And as a man, absolutely Uh, Joe look it's interesting, you've earned your way into a position now where rather than having to accept fights in terms of whatever's thrown in front of you you take you now can sort of pick and choose where you want to go because you know you've beaten Deontay Wilder, uh, you've ruined the Anthony Joshua Deontay Wilder fight and and you can kind of now be a bit more selective and I look at the division and we're kind of waiting for this Usyk um, Fury fight uh, at uh, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months' time, uh, to sort of and that will I guess plant the seeds for everyone to sort of see where they're going. But I look at the division and the Joshua fights out there. Daniel Dubois would be an awesome fight. A Joe Joyce rematch, Dillian White rematch, um, Zhang who's really tough, Hergovic who's right up there. Like, is, is there is there? You look at that and you think, man, this is this is what I've I've worked for. Now I, I can have one of these big names in a big fight that's going to get me a world title in, in two fights' time.
2: You know what? It's funny you say that because now that you're like I'm in this position, you think exactly what you're thinking. Like there's all these big names, and you can and you can sort of pick and choose now. But the way that it's set up at the moment is that you know, a lot of the, like the fights now are being held in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. They they're holding all the cards at the moment, and Saudi Arabia they they have certain heavyweights they want on a card, and um, all the cards that they have the different fight nights, and it's it's uh, it's a uh, it's like uh, take it or leave it type, you know. Whatever fighter is available, um, they'll they'll give the offer to. You. And if you, if you don't want the offer, I think they just pass it on to the next fighter. So right. at the moment, they're still even though you can negotiate here and there, but it's more like take the fights so that you can while you can, and take the fights they offer. You know. Whoa
0: what I love uh, and look you say what you want about sports watching Saudi whatever um, they put on a UFC style card uh, for Day of Reckoning and you know I've talked to you in the past and we've had frustration about about booking fights and, and, and things like that but to have six epic heavyweight titles plus Jay Upataya who potentially could be the most exciting Australasian boxer um, I mean I've personally <laughs> seen the guy's an absolute beast uh, is really exciting and, and would you like to see more of that where you're fighting on cards with like like a Canelo Alvarez or an Anthony Joshua or, or, or whatever, like more and more of that where, you know, I mean the Saudi government managed to get Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren to work together, which which is unheard of. Like, you know, that that's never happened before. So is that exciting for you as boxer to know that we've seen this, the business model of the UFC works and that potentially this is where boxing is going, these super cards?
2: I feel like the, what we've just seen in Saudi Arabia is the beginning. It's the beginning of bigger fights and bigger cards out there. And we've had this fight that they're wrecking. Now we've got Yusek and, and and Fury on on the 17th of February. And I think that, cause that's going to be a stacked card as well. And then um, they're already looking at dates in March and April. And so so I'm going to be heading into camp very soon. I'm going to be back into camp to train for either March or April. And, and one of those, you know, against one of those names that you did mention before, or Herkovich or Joe Joyce or Dana Dubois, or one of those top fighters. Mm
0: and what about for you personally joe you just said you're going back into camp but i know you've got a beautiful family um, i think you're the only only man in the family too so you, you fight that battle on a daily basis with all those uh, beautiful women around you but what about for you man like i know that a couple of years ago you were sort of talking about 33 34 in terms of an age that you'd sort of targeted that that maybe if you'd done what you wanted to do uh, that that could be the end of end of your time and I talked to James Smitty-Smith the other day, and he said Joseph Parker is just coming into his physical and mature and mature prime right now. He could have three or four years at the very highest level. Uh, but but what 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 for you, where's the motivation at? I know you're a family man, and I know that you kind of always signaled that that would be the way to go. But have you given yourself a timeline on, on what you want to achieve?
2: Yeah, I, I feel like nothing past 35. What am I, 31? Yes. So I've got another three, three, solid four years, but... Again, if if it comes to the point where I'm taking a lot of damage and I'm not, you know, if I'm not performing or I'm taking fights that I'm getting hurt, and then I'm you know, the team and myself have to make a decision, you know. But other, but at the moment, my um, motivation is I want to be champion of the world. Mm. And now now I'm blessed with the opportunity that I can travel with my family into camps and we can travel together, and so it's not going to be as hard being away from home um, because they're going to be with me. So I think another solid three possibly four years and then call it it a day.
0: And and I I mentioned his name Joe Uh, Jay Apatia. you got to see him up close and personal that's the second time I've seen him fight the guy is an absolute beast and has world champion written all over him I know that he got ripped off a bit by the IBF with the title that he did hold there was a bit of travesty around that but what did you make of of his performance and his potential as even a future heavyweight?
2: You know Jay Apatia, like you said he's a beast and um you know him and I are very close, like we're really good friends. And you know, when when I was with him on fight week, there's no, there's no mucking around, there's no like wasteful energy. He's all about business. You know, he's in there to do a job. He gets it done. Then he's on the plane back home to spend <laughs> Christmas with his family. So um, I feel like he's, he, like you said, he's the he's the most exciting fighter that's come out of this side of the world recent times. And I, I think uh, I think he's going to take over.
0: My man, my man. A couple of questions to wrap, Joe. First of all, uh, what does your sort of next week or two look like? Uh, just time with the fam dam and uh, chilling out before back to the weights?
2: Yep, time with the family. I've been, I've been training every day, and I'm still going to be training every day. George Lockhart, my nutritionist, I'm going to be linking up with him next weekend in Ireland, and mm-hmm. I'm going to link up with Andy Lee as well and start training camp. But he sent me a plan where the food, and he sent me a plan of weights, and I'm just following it every day. To the best, the best I can, while enjoying myself with the family and enjoying a bit of burgers here and there, some <laughs> chips, some dessert some Hershey pies, all of that, all good, that good stuff.
0: Good man, and 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 finally, most important question for the Warriors fans out there: How's the next door neighbour looking ahead of his return to the Warriors uh, this year? Is he still uh, making mincemeat of you, running with no shirt on out out in the, <laughs> those roads around? Around, you? I'm yeah. talking about Roger Tuavasa Sheik Of course.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's been he's been on holiday and some more so I've been I've been owning the driveway I've been the fastest <laughs> one on the driveway. But when he gets back, I'm going to be busy, so I will see.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Joe, man, I really appreciate your time, man. I know you're busy. You always make time for me. I do appreciate it. Uh, and Happy New Year to you and yours, mate. And uh, have an awesome 24, mate. We'll be watching really closely and supporting hard.
2: Let's have an awesome 2024. Happy New Year's, brother, and happy New Year's
0: here on listening. God bless. God bless you too. That's Joseph Parker. Could he be potential future heavyweight champion again? Uh, JP. Uh, it is coming up 13 after 12. Still a lot to come. Your thoughts as well, guys. Double eight, double three. Has the Joseph Parker, Deontay Wilder fight convinced you that there's another world title run in, in Joe? And I, I look at the division. And you know, he was the first guy that Anthony Joshua never stopped, like barely took a punch in that fight in anger. He was just sort of picked apart um, technically by Joshua in that fight uh, and the referee had a lot to do um, with the outcome of that too, not allowing Joe to get in tight. But you know Tyson Fury, maybe one or two fights left, I think. He fights Usyk, win or lose, and then fights Anthony Joshua and then Tyson hangs up the gloves. Uh, so you look at the division and Alexander Usyk is the only guy I can see there that that, to me poses problems for Joe from a technical standpoint because Usyk is almost perfection when it comes to boxing Joe could definitely beat Dubois, he could beat Kabyal, Zaley Zhang very very uh, tall heavyweight, awkward heavyweight um, that that could pose a problem he's just beaten Joe Joyce twice Zhang and we know that that Joe had problems with with Joe Joyce, Hergovic very very good as well but there are fighters in that division that Joe can beat and he's one fight away from a heavyweight title, he wins that fight and he is back in the mix to fight for a heavyweight title. So what what are your thoughts? Did so the Deontay Wilder fight convince you that there is another world heavyweight title run in Joe Parker? Double eight, double three, have a message here from Ken, uh, biggest Blues fan in the country. Uh, Brad, happy new year, nice to be listening to you outside of rugby. <laughs> I'd like to see uh, Burnley survive in the EPL, went there before World Cup, started uh, good through a good mate who lives there, and they played Tottenham. Great experience. Definitely go back one day. Cheers, Ken. Yeah, Burnley. One of those uh, clubs that Chris Chris Woods played for, of course, uh, back in the day. Scored uh, I believe about 150 games for Burnley, uh, Chris Woods. So he he was there for for a long time, and and that's a scrapping club. Um, they're struggling at the moment. I'll be honest. I think they sit at the bottom of the league uh, with Sheffield and Luton Town. Um, they're going to need some results to go their way. Um, there's certainly some separation starting to sort of happen between the teams. Uh, 18th down to 20 versus everybody else so um, look you know Burnley's the sort of club that will uh, will do the old bounce back every year right so they, they get relegated they, they come back and look at a team like Leicester they're absolutely dominating the championship at the moment and look a lot to uh, qualify for the Premier League uh, next year um, not too far away from having a chat to Garth Galloway um, we'll take a quick break and uh, when we get back uh, we'll relive um, some highlights from the series win for the Black Caps in the T20 uh, series against Bangladesh um, and your thoughts as well on double eight, double three. Just gone 20 after 12, Brad Lewis with you uh, alongside Robbie. I'll bring Robbie in for a sec. Um, a very happy new year to you, Mr. McFarlane. How are you doing?
3: Oh, not too bad, Brad. Yeah, good ha- to good to be back. Yeah, um, first time working a, together. This is very week. exciting. That's true. Mm, it, where, is. Where is. it is. Yeah, um, yeah. We went, went down to the Mount uh, for the third T20, which was um, yeah fun until it started absolutely bucketing down with rain. Yeah, um, Black
0: Caps did their best to almost lose that game, eh?
3: Oh, they really did. Um, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. Bol Bol out for 110, uh, yeah. and then. Looked like we should have cruised, and Finn Allen was uh, getting us off to a good start. But then, yeah, kept losing wickets. I think, um, yeah, what was it, Cy- Seifert, Mitchell, Phillips, got run out, Chapman, yeah. all for one. Yeah. So yeah, but not, then the cool head scorecard. of
0: Jimmy Neesham managed to go. He's, yeah. he's a Solid key player, eh, Jimmy Neesham was yeah, like just. Yeah. The amount of T Twenty cricket that guy's played, he was on with Louis uh, last week on the breakfast show, and he just sort of said he's he thinks he's been in every situation that there is in T Twenty cricket, so it kind of second nature now. He knows what needs to be done in certain situations, so uh, uh, that was that was key because they were for a while there they were behind the old Duckworth Lewis with with the rain threatening.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, lo- luckily I don't think there was ever any point where we were behind where the clouds were sort of coming in and right. we were like this this could be a threat. Um, yeah, it. Um, it looked pretty good, pretty uh, pretty blue skies for for most of our most of our chase, and uh, and then yeah, it just kind of kind of hit. We were like, oh, the clouds are looking a bit grey around us, and then obviously the the rain started coming down, and the whole crowd were like, all right, that's it, we're not getting back. Great
0: on. venue. Uh, I took my son to a Boxing Day test against Pakistan there, maybe three or four years ago. Um, it's the first time I've been to Bay Oval. I think it's a gorgeous cricket ground. The bank there is lovely. Um, and the atmosphere was really good. too. I don't know what it was like for you. Um, for the for the game on the thirty first, but what, what did you
3: what did you make of the atmosphere? Yeah, really good. Um, yeah, re- really good crowd in as well. Um, yeah, just looking looking around the looking around the ground at the at the bank there, and yeah, not not too many uh, empty bits of grass, and yeah, re- really good to see um, people showing up. Obviously, um, not sure. I mean, we we made the decision to drive over, and um, regardless of the forecast, and so um, yeah, people decided to show up, which was which which was nice, and yeah, it was a good call. Got a decent amount of cricket in, which it's was good.
0: A, it's, it's, it's a, that is a good call. Uh, and a spoiler alert, we are the home of cricket here on SCNZ. We have exclusive coverage of the Black Caps throughout and the White Ferns throughout the summer. Next game, 12th of Feb, against Pakistan, T20, Eden Park. But uh, Mitch McLean and Daniel McCarty were calling that game uh, on uh, New Year's Eve on the 31st. Um, here are highlights from that game at the Bay Oval in Tauranga.
4: Big appeal for LBW, it's a celebration rather than an appeal from Saudi. I think this is going down leg myself. The finger's gone up. No but It's way. just rubbing okay, leg okay, stump. You know, <laughs> it is the screen narrowest screen, of you know, umpires' you know, calls. And New Zealand three, get a break early. Milne bowls in this one. caught a points Chento coming down the wicket, trying to hit hard back over the bowler's head. He sliced it. And a regulation catch gobbled up by Finn Allen. New Zealand have a second. Big shout for LBW, maybe a bit of back no, give it out! Another tight one given in favour of the home side. Shout, caught, yes, taken. What wonderful bowling from Santner. No doubt from the New Zealanders, the finger up pretty quickly. He's got an outside edge taken by Seifert. Oh, it came down with snow on it, that's how high it was. It was a looping delivery outside of off-stump, and is saying goes to drive and is feathered in an edge through to Seifert oh leg stump perfect death bowling mill good pace it's the base of leg stump the bales go flying and bangladesh's innings is over 110 they've been bowled out for and new zealand will need 1-1-1 to make it 1-1 in the series short of length and he hits it high under the breeze over midwicket is that gone all the way it's just landed on the rope or there or thereabouts. They'll have to have a look. Quick through the air, drags the length down and it's pulled away. Definitely over the rope this time. That's gone all the way. His reverse sweep attempt. Seifert's fallen over, he's missed the ball and the stumps are dislodged. What brilliant keeping from Ronnie Talukdar. Goes inside and out, trying to head over mid off but he said it straight to mid off and Mahadi starts dancing. It's New Year's after all. Mitchell just went outside leg stump, tried to give himself some room. Didn't get the power nor elevation required, and New Zealand lose another ball. Oh, what a rip! snorter! Moving back in, hitting the top of off stump. It's the dreams of left-arm quick bowlers, and Glenn Phillips just not good enough. Dropping away is Allen off the back foot. He's got one. He's going to come back for two The throw. Oh, they run into each other. And you would not believe it. The New Zealand pair have run into each other mid-pitch. Allen is lying on the ground. The question is, who's out? I'm confused. Is it Chapman? Is it Allen? I don't know. It's a horror show for the Black Caps. Bold Allen goes! It's carnage! It's carnage here at Bay Oval. for Islam... Oh, what a wonderful bowler. Here's Nesham coming down the wicket, hitting high. Has he got it long enough? I think he has. Sails over the rope. Very straight hit. A long hit. That is a, a long boundary. Hitting back into the breeze, isn't he? Short, and uh, Nesham is going to spank this one away. High over mid-wicket. High into the embankment. Six towering runs of the big blade of Jimmy Nesham. Bangladesh fans have seen enough. They're leaving en masse as the rain starts to come down. New Zealand now well ahead of Duckworth-Lewis Stern. Covers on, but the rain's coming down very heavy. I'll be staggered if we get back on. And New Zealand are 17 runs ahead of the Duckworth-Lewis Stern pass score, which is 78. They are 95 for the loss of five.
0: The Black Caps getting the job done, squaring the series against Bangladesh on Duckworth lewis Stern, uh, And they now have a little bit of a break, playing a bit of Super Smash cricket around the country. Uh, and New Zealand back in action against Pakistan uh, in a T20 series starting on uh, January the 12th at Eden Park. Five-match T20 series um, before we head into a Test match series against... Uh, South Africa at the back end of January, early February. Um, So, And live coverage of all those games here on SENZ. Um, Also live cricket tomorrow from 11am, SEN's coverage of Australia-Pakistan third test from Sydney, David Warner's final test match. Yeah, What, what does he go down as? Australian legend? Record-wise, absolutely, one of the greatest opening batsmen in Australian cricket history. Might talk to Garth Galloway about that um, in a couple of minutes' time. He's next here on Summer Days here on SCNZ with Brad. Twenty nine away from a one on summer days on SCNZ with Brad. There is live cricket today happening around the country. Mount Monganui at the Bay Oval. In fact, um, there's a double header, uh, the Brave and the Blaze, Northern Brave and Wellington Blaze in the uh women's Super Smash and then the men's Super Smash, um, Firebirds and the Brave as well. Uh, those games kick off. Uh, From two o'clock. So, Stephen McIver will keep you updated on those throughout the day. All right, we are talking cricket, of course, here on SCNZ, and the most well dressed man in the uh, SCNZ cricket commentary team uh, is Garth Galloway, and he joins us on the line. Happy New Year, Mr. Galloway.
5: Thanks, Brad. You're you're damning me with faint praise. It's not hard.
0: (laughs) Hey look, I was I was uh, I was I saw you in the commentary box alongside Harry and Sarah and Debbie and I was like man Garth is Garth is dressed to the nines today.
5: Well, I probably come from work, but um it, it is a it's a weakness of mine, I'm afraid. I do enjoy a decent jacket and a nice shirt.
0: You do indeed. <laughs> hey, I threw out something to the text line just before. David Warner's last test match coming up in Sydney. Is yep. he will he go down as an Australian great? on the field
5: Uh, I think so I mean I think um, I I think he has to really Uh, and and I think when you look at the fact that he's been involved in a couple of World Cup winning teams as well Um, you know he's played 2020 cricket for Australia and he's had a test record um, that is that is pretty good it's not you know it's not it's not in the sort of exceptional category but it's 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 very good so I mean I mean I think the answer is yes uh, but I think tainted with that is the obvious uh, sand gate. And I see even recently he's still saying that the truth of it will come out at some stage. So obviously he feels that the whole story hasn't been told. Um, I, I, you know, For me, he will always be tainted by that. Um, that was an Australian side who had been uh, on top of the world for some time. Uh, they went to Cape Town, and uh, when they weren't going well against a very good South African side, uh, they sought to cheating. And, uh, you know, that is, I, I think, is, is is a mark of them. Um, and, you know, he was very lucky to get the relatively short ban that he did get. Indeed. But I think when you look at him having played, Brad, 111 tests, an average of 45 in 26 entries, um, you know, it's a, pretty com- it's a compelling record. He's been a tough competitor. Um, there'll be many people, probably me included, who don't particularly like the way he played the game, particularly in the early years. Um, You know, he was brash and and, uh, unpleasant at times. But, again, you have to admire his longevity, his fitness, and the fact that he's played, you know, hundreds of games
0: for Australia. And Garth, we know the uh, Black Caps have a Boxing Day Test in 2026. This, to me, is the first of what's going to be many players leaving both sides over the course of the next four years. Before, and it could be two very different New Zealand-Australian lineups. I mean, a lot of Australian pundits are picking the Ashes home series. They have got India and Austra- um, England the next two summers, and they're picking their Ashes tour as potentially the the swan song for the lights of of Stark, Kawaja, Cummins, Lion, People. Like that like there could be two very different teams that take the field of melbourne in that boxing day test in 2026
6: but yeah
5: they will be it's a good point that you make and i think that um you, you know the wise money will still have it comfortably on australia whoever they turn up with um i mean they're a complete bogey side for new zealand we, we toured there in 2019 as you know and lost three nil and, and played i i thought um you know pretty pretty poorly really um it, it wasn't a great series for New Zealand. We, we didn't really compete. Williamson got injured, and you know they they really are a bogey team. And as we, uh, you know, and, and we've talked on, scenes on a on a number of occasions about the, the, the sort of changing face of this New Zealand side, um, and and the the, the the what I perceive to be a lack of a. a plan a succession plan you know I think New Zealand are going to suffer a little bit in the next few years and I think that gulf between the top sides like Australia India and England and possibly South Africa will grow wider.
0: So Garth and I agree with you um, when the summer of cricket was announced and we saw these two bumper test series against South Africa and Australia um, I think we were looking our lips and um, because of T20 cricket the T20 league in South Africa my goodness um, a cluster of a team that South Africa selected here and, and actually puts a lot of pressure on New Zealand to, to get the job done and, and, and hammer them. Uh, I know that you are a traditionalist and, and you're someone who believes that Test cricket should be treated the way that it deserves to be treated. Uh, this just leaves an icky taste in the mouth, doesn't it? Icky is a great word. Yeah.
5: It just... yeah it, 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 it's a truly icky uh, taste in the mouth and it, and, and I think... You know the reality is that South African cricket are poking their finger at at Test cricket, and it's it's incredibly sad. And it's nice to see players, former players like Steve Waugh, coming out and speaking so strongly again about it. I mean, I think the reality is that the you know the game is very poorly administered in South Africa. Uh, it took them 18 months to find a CEO. Uh, no one wanted the job over there. Um, I was listening to, a, to a, 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 an interview with Neil mantle the you know the very well-known and wonderful South African commentator, who said that they approached 25 people for the job, um, and th- that's really just an indication. I think you know that, that this was a South Africa agreed to this uh, two-match series with New Zealand, and then realised that they'd made a mistake and asked New Zealand to change the dates. I mean that's that's a a total reflection on their lack of competence, in my opinion. Um, and now we have this SA20 series, which starts, uh, you know, at the, about the time that will well, we'll starts quite soon. And this, of course, is the reason that uh, that they're not bringing an A team out here. Um, all of those uh, test players, bar I think two, are contracted to the SA20. Uh, it's it's just this insidious creep of 2020 cricket. Mm. And for, for those listeners who, who haven't followed what's happening in South Africa, there are Six teams. They're all related to the IPL franchises. As this, you know, as this spider web of IPL increases across the world, and its influence into America and and, and through into South Africa, and we effectively get a South African seaside coming out here. Um, it, it, it's absolutely tragic. Um, there are players like, uh, you know, remember the uh, the South African captain who I gather is unlikely to play a game, but is contracted throughout the SA20. Um, It's it's just a mess, and they bring uh, out now a side uh, captained by Neil Brand, who has never played a test. Mm -hmm. He will be, as Lee Jamon was, you'll remember, in the West Indies in 1995. I think it was in the West Indies that that he he captained New Zealand for the first time, and that was his first test as well. Very rare and unusual. Um, They bring Keegan Peterson, David uh, Bedingham, who's a useful player, but has only played one test. Mm -hmm. Peterson's played twelve, and averages uh, just twenty-eight so it's yeah it's very hard to get excited having said that you know i I was thinking the other day brad about the baby blacks in 1986 Mm -hmm. 85 you know the rugby team against france who turned up and played so compellingly at lancaster park um that south african side's got absolutely nothing to lose against new zealand it's, it's new zealand with everything to lose playing a team like them so i mean there will always be some interest but um i think the currently contracted south african test players will feel uh, very much that these uh, test caps are being given away.
0: Yeah, what well, David Bedingham and Keegan Peterson, the only players that played in that historic win over India on, on, on yeah. Boxing Day. Um, yeah, and Neil Brand never heard of him. Uh, don't watch a lot of South African cricket, going to be honest. But yeah, it's, to me, it just seems like it's it's like an up yours to, to test cricket. And I get it. Look, money is is dry. In South Africa don't have a lot of money as a cricket organisation. I understand that. But um, for me, it's just it's a real shame. But on the flip side. Does this now heap a lot of pressure on New Zealand to get the job done um, convincingly in this two-test series?
5: Well, I think it does. I think it puts all the pressure on the New Zealand side. Um, they will be expected. I mean, you know, these, 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 these South African cricketers will not be hopeless. You know, there are a number of established first-class players. They can all play the game. Uh, but, but listening again to Neil Mantle, he's saying that they are not test-quality players. Um, with the exception of Peterson and Bedingham, and uh, and and Oliver is coming out here as well. He he's a good cricketer, yeah, but it's the players who are not coming that. I mean, that list is just incredible when you look at it. Uh, so yeah, all of the pressure uh, gets heaped on New Zealand, and you would expect that New Zealand need to need to come out and they need to win this series very well. So uh, you know you you want them to turn up and to play. Um, you know it, you really want them to smash the South African side. You do not want them to beat. It, it would simply, if, for example, New Zealand were to lose a, lose a test and spare the thought, or to, for example, draw the series, uh, then, then I think that would weaken you know, the criticism of South Africa in a way. So, uh, But New Zealand should feel very confident going into this series. Um, there's a host of players who aren't coming, and uh, you know, I would be surprised if New Zealand don't win 2-0.
0: So uh, you talked a little bit about sort of like a, a plan um, in terms of recruitment, in terms of what's next for New Zealand cricket um, and the next, the next cabs off the rank. And look, not sure, sure where Trent Bolt was. Actually, interesting stat about Trent Bolt, Garth, 10th highest paid sports person in New Zealand in 2023 with $2.9 million income. <laughs> um, so that goes to show he made yep. the right decision personally, didn't he? But um, I'm not sure what his plans are. I'd imagine he'd probably be quite keen to play Australia in that two-test series. But would you like to see like a Jacob Duffy or a Ben Sears or someone like that given a go rather than the than the usual call-ups, the Blair Tickners, the Scott Cougarlines, and the like that have been tried and tested before and, and maybe haven't cut the mustard?
5: Uh, the answer is yes. And, and I think now um it's it's absolutely incumbent on new zealand that they do um at at least try and bring someone in younger for that south african series it provides an excellent opportunity for them i mean it'll i mean the starting point is who's fit and then you choose your best 11 uh, in theory but there is an opportunity if there is a balance between for example two players to bring someone younger in and to look at them for that australian series and and i'd I'd love to see that happen you know, we stake our claims when I look at, again, coming back to the series that we've just had with Bangladesh. There have been a lot of worrying performances by the New Zealand side in that. And I feel when I heard Will Young saying after they lost that third one-day game, all out for 98, you know, the ninth lowest total in New Zealand uh, ODI history. And, you know, Will was interviewed and said, well, you know, we've, 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 got a, we've got a series win and we'll take that. And, you know, this was after... New Zealand had been bowled for 98 and, and Bangladesh had knocked them out for one down with 15 overs, uh, to, you know, gone and 35 overs to spare. And I just, for me, saw, I just didn't think it was tough enough and, and, and you know, they should have been beating themselves up, not celebrating a series win. I, I also look at, the, you know, the continued uh, use of Finn Allen and, you know, not that long ago, the New Zealand team was saying that he was a, a key part of the World Cup. He didn't play in it. Uh, As you recall, Brad, uh, just looking at where he's going, you know, he's turned out to be Shara uh, Bunny. Uh, He, again, looking at his starting season in ODI cricket, he averaged 38 in 2022 uh, in eight matches. In 2022-23, he had 10 matches and averaged 25. And in 2023, he's played in four ODI games and is averaging 12. And throughout all of that time, his strike rate's gone from 93 down to 77. Mm. Uh, his one day, his T20 record is, is, is similarly slipping. Um, in 2021, he averaged 26 this year, he's averaging 21.3 and his strike rate's gone from 190 to 136. So, you know, he is not a player, uh, who convinces me at all that he should be in that New Zealand setup. Uh, and yet he's touted by so many people as being so wonderful, um, I I just, I can't understand it. And I can't understand it. I, I almost think that the New Zealand team set him up to fail by saying that he would be a key part of the World Cup.
0: Squad and so on. It's a it's a shame, uh, Garth, because there's a there's a bloke called Marty Guptill who's still playing cricket. And look, I understand yep. that he is very much the past and not the future. But I had someone within the New Zealand cricket media who I will not mention um, say to me the other day that it's no coincidence that Martin Guptill's career ended around the same time that Ross Taylor retired. Um, Taylor very much a champion for Martin Guptill, And look, I know that those two are very close. Um, and and yep. look, I, I don't want to throw that out as a fact. That's just a, that's just this person's opinion. Um, but I kind of look at the fact and I'm like actually it kind of makes sense Um, and Martin Gupta was just laid out to pasture probably our greatest white ball opening batsman ever Uh, and it's just a real shame to me that Finn Allen's career could potentially go down the route of like a Ken Rutherford where he's been ruined at the start of his career uh, and um, took a lot for Rutherford to get back to anywhere near an international batsman after that, that tour and in the meantime Guppy's just playing a bit of T20 cricket around the planet but still wants to play for New Zealand
5: yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great shame. And, and I think also that they, they made such a clear decision, as you talk about, uh, to, that, that Gupta would not be involved and Alan was their man. And, um, and, 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 you know, part of it is, was it too early for him? I don't know. But I watched him playing in a game against Canterbury on TV. You were talking about the, you know, the uh, Dream 11 competition, which I'm enjoying watching. Uh, and, and he was given out slashing at a ball outside the off stunt. And, and the neck, you could, yeah, I mean, you could have heard it, and you know, and Mount Mangonui from Auckland. He walked off, turning around, glaring at the umpire as though the umpire had made a mistake. It was just bizarre, and and you know, swearing away to himself and so on. And I thought that this guy's got a hell of a lot of growing up to do um, when you see him behaving in that way. Uh, again. Is it, is, it, is it the fault of New Zealand cricket that they play so much on him? Is it the responsibility of Finn? It's probably somewhere in between them. But I think, you know, for me, he has not developed, and I've talked about this over two years since he came onto the scene, and we saw it again uh, the other day in the last game where he was, again, when Chorapul came back in and he at least got a few runs that day, but he was bold because the ball moved around and he hasn't got a defensive technique. And, and I know it sounds... Strange and perhaps ironic, but I think you have to have a good defensive technique to be a successful T20 player. You cannot just simply go out there and bash. And this is the problem with Alan. He simply has not developed to the degree that he has to to be successful.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of handy left armors in that Pakistan team too, too, Garth. That worries yep. me a little bit. Uh, hey, look, it's well, all... if they
5: swing it around. Yeah, he he's in he'll trouble. Be in trouble.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure chatting to you, Garth. Um, about cricket, Lo- love it, mate. And um, happy New Year to you and yours. And we look forward to more of your input on the SNZ summer of cricket as well.
5: Good on you, Brad, and a very happy new year to all your listeners.
0: Thank you. That's Garth Galloway, part of the SCNZ commentary team uh, over the summer of cricket. Um, still got tours from South Africa and Australia to come, plus the White Ferns in a uh, seven-game tour um, from, from England at the back end to, to end the summer. That's uh, exciting and, and good cricket to look forward to. Uh, 13 away from uh, 1. We'll wrap the hour next. 8 away from uh, 1, Summer Days SCNZ with Brad and producer Rob. Um, very interesting comments from Garth Galloway there um, around where New Zealand cricket is at, where Finallan is at, where the South African Test team is at. Um, Robbie, we had a bit of a chat about Finnellan before, and I think Garth's kind of right. He just, I don't think he really knows what he's supposed to be doing. And, and defensively, there are some serious issues there with, with defence.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's an interesting one for, for Finn because obviously we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, what he's being told to do. But it, yeah, I, th- I think you make a good point. It, it, com- it comes down to like who he's opening with as well. Um, you know, in the T20s with, with Tim Seifert at the moment, whether he's meant to be the sort of aggressive one. Tim Seifert is a much more aggressive player, but then you get him opening with the likes of Devin Conway. It's a little bit different. Finn Allen's yeah. definitely the one that you're expecting to be hitting boundaries, which puts a lot more pressure on him. So yeah, his his role is definitely uh, chopping and changing throughout the you know different different teams we're playing and the different teams that we're selecting as well.
0: Yeah, and, and your thoughts on
3: the pretty Av
0: test team that South Africa has sent out? Obviously, as Garth sort of said. Robbie, that, that heaps a lot
3: of pressure on New Zealand to, to smash them, pretty much. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, d- disappointing, um, to, sa- to say the least. But, um, I mean, it, it, sh- it should hopefully be a good watch. It'll be interesting to see what type of team we put out, I think. You know, uh, especially, like, we, we see the, um, you know, we're trying to bring youth through, mm. not as much as... We potentially should be but especially in the ODI t20 short format of the game. We're seeing it a lot more We don't really see it in the test format for the longest time as I can remember. It's Southie bolt Jameson Wagner, Wagner yeah with Matt, Matt Henry, Henry coming in for the <laughs> occasional injured player. Yeah, that's our bowling attack at, in test matches interesting
0: well, yeah. in the last three years Matt Henry best test record out of any of those bowlers Oh well. yeah, yeah doesn't um, surprise me I guess he's the forgotten man because he's been injured but um, look I, I think it's it's time for a guy like Jacob Duffy to be given maybe this test summer four test matches against well quality opposition in Australia and opposition that he should go well against in South Africa I think it's the time to give him a go he's a he's a tall man he gets bounce he can move the ball about um, you know we're, we're in a situation where there's going to be no Bolt Salvi-Wagner in, in 12 you know 24 months Time those three guys will be gone,
3: yeah. 100% agree, um, yeah. So someone like Duffy's definitely got to be given a chance. I think his Plunkett Shield record is, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal. Like, yeah. so, so good to not be given at least a chance. And yeah, with this with this series against a sea side of South Africa you know we we have to change um, our team and we, we have to um, yeah get get some youth through and at least give them a go
0: double eight double three what are your thoughts where would you like to see this Black Caps test team go over the summer of cricket do you want to see Trent Bolt against Australia or should we just say thanks very much Trent we'd rather look to the future with a guy like Jacob Duffy uh, Double eight. Double three, um, who knows what's happening with Kyle Jamieson. That mate, that boy is injury prone. Uh, it is five away from one. After the break, uh, Patty Baines, MMA journalist here in New Zealand, um, will wrap the year in the world of MMA uh, and have a preview to a couple of big events that are happening in 2024. Uh, and we'll also uh, head down to the ASB Classic and catch up with David Long from Stuff to see what's uh, happening in the tennis. Massive day today, Coco Goff. Radakanu on court, uh, there's Wang versus Wang, we'll find out about that. Uh, and uh, Aaron Routliff, Paige Horrigan tonight in the doubles. Uh, that's after this break here on SENZ. Just got one o'clock on summer days on SCNZ. Brad Lewis in the chair, Robbie uh, producing, we have a guest in studio, I'll get to him in a sec. Double eight, double three. if you would like to contribute to the show, which Ken has, Brad definitely disappointed in the Africans sending that side. And on Duffy, no thanks. But some guys, uh, are, are, there are plenty of guys who are good around around the traps. Well, look, I think Jacob Duffy, as Robbie said, as uh, Ken has um, done done the job at domestic level, what more do you want from the guy? Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's smashing down the door at domestic level, as Devin Conway did with the bat. Um, you need to give the guy, guy a chance. Uh, it is one after one. Um, everyone knows one of my loves in sport is mixed martial arts. Um, and so uh, one of my loves is also Paddy Baines as well. And Patrick Baines from Squared Up MMA in studio. Happy New Year, Patty. Happy New Year, Brad. How are we going? Very good. Did you did you
6: have a legal New Year's? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Actually, actually I did. Yeah, yeah, I don't even need a lot. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't expect it to be as tame as it was, um, so I'm feeling very fresh, and I'm back at work tomorrow. So, oh. Was the weather okay We're in were part of the world? It was meant to be rainy the entire time, and yep. then we got some sunshine, and because we we're in the middle of the gorge, yep. um, we, as soon as we left the gorge and went out to Waihee Beach, we got fantastic weather, yep. it's just like, oh. Waihi's such a
0: great spot, man. Yeah. One of the best spots in the country. I love Waihee so much, and great this time of year as well. It was my cool. first time there, too. Awesome, awesome. Oh, it's beautiful. We've been camping there a few times. Um, all right, Patty. 2023 in, in mixed martial arts. I call it the year of the new champion. That's fair. Yeah. Because multiple new champions. And it's weird because this time last year, we had dominant champions um, ac- across the division. But, you know, Amanda Nunez's retirement, um, Shevchenko losing out of nowhere, um, Alex Behater losing to Izzy, Izzy losing to Strickland. Um, an interesting year. For you, what was the biggest shock in terms of title changes in, in 23? Oh, probably that Izzy Strickland one. Yeah. Um,
6: because after his dominant win over Potato at uh, 291, or 281, sorry, yeah, um, the 283, sorry, I'm getting yep. all mixed up, um, absolute uh, upset because he was one of the greatest sporting comebacks of all time with the history between those two, mm. and it was his greatest win. And then it takes, oh, it was, was it his longest, was it six months?
0: So it took some time off, um, yeah.
6: yeah. And then came back, and then, yeah, just kind of didn't show up it and was he a felt f- so sure i was there interviewing him as well and he just felt so sure going into that
0: fight that it was going to be light work patty it was a fight that no one saw him losing because styles make fights and if you're a striker and you're fighting israel Adesanya, you don't have much of a chance unless you have power and strickland doesn't have alex Pereira power um but it was a master class from strickland and as he was just off enough where um, you know Strickland style sort um, of sort of cost him and we know that um, recently it's sort of come out that as he's gone and done a bit of boxing training with a, with a few boxing trainers and I know that he said he was going to take an indefinite amount of time off uh, and he had earmarked 2026 or 27, but he's come out he was in the Saudi day reckoning card. Um, he was there in Saudi Arabia watching that the Joseph Parker fight and what have you and sort of said nah look um, it might be a bit sooner than that. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, I, I look at I look at the year, as I said, the year of the new champ. And, and you know, Sean O'Malley for me over Aljamain Stealing, like w- was awesome and, and creates fresh matchups, which is which is what we're all about. And we saw that light heavyweight Alex Behader now started the year as middleweight champ, ends the year as light heavyweight champ, talking about going up to heavyweights to be the first ever three division champion. And I tell you what, Patty, if anyone can do it, because of his ability on the feet. Uh, and the fact that there's no dominant wrestlers at heavyweight, aside from John Jones, is pretty good. Alex Baheda, uh could be the first ever three division champ
6: it's um he's pretty coy about that though, when they yeah. asked him he got interviewed recently, and he's just like, "Oh, I just had a dream about it, and <laughs> I had to tweet it, yeah, um I do agree, um I did feel the same about Volk going up on short notice though against Islam. I was like, if there's anyone who can do it, it's him. yeah, and it didn't quite happen yeah. and Tom Aspinall he's got those, his he's fast, yeah, um, tremendous boxer, almost didn't even see him knock out um That's
0: yeah. how quick that those punches were yeah what well, what do you think at heavyweight like? John Jones is the undisputed champ, Tom Aspinall is the interim champ, we've got the potential of a Stipe Miocic fight there with John Jones which kind of puts the division on a handbrake and I think the UFC created this problem for themselves by creating an interim title and you've kind of almost taken the Miocic-Jones fight off the table but then Dana White coming out and said no that's still very much in our plans. So what? Do you strip Jones of the title and give it to Like, How how would you like to see the UFC play this out? It's a complete mess.
6: Um, Everything you just said is very true Um, because obviously the next person for, with Jones out, the next person for Tom would be um, Jochic. Yes. And he's kind of pushing retirement. He's over 40 now. He only
0: wants the Jones fight. Um, Yeah, it's his legacy fight.
6: And so, but Jones has done so much for the UFC. He has the greatest resume there is. Yeah. Um, he kind of can do whatever he wants, and he kind of also wants that um, Miocic fight for his legacy Mm. because that's just one other greatest of all time scratched off his list that he's beaten. Um, I think this Pereira fight might be a way out for um, Dana where if Alex comes up and wins it, Alex is probably going to go back down to light heavyweight and defend there against Jamal Hill, and that just extends the time for John Jones to um, recover, and then he can come back fight um, Miočić, yeah. and the, uh, the 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 interim belt can just stay floating around kind of inactive until the until... ready
0: to, to fight <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. you're right and look I, I totally get it the UFC don't want to put divisions on hold but when you've got such a dominant champion look I know he's only had a minute and a half in the cage as a heavyweight but man John Jones just steamrolled Cyril Garner probably the most dominant championship performance of the year in early 23 and a fight that a lot of people thought he'd have trouble with Uh, Look, John Jones, to me, remains the greatest athlete in the history of MMA. There is an asterisk next to his name. I still stand on top of the mountain and say GSP is the greatest MMA fighter of all time. I think his resume is second to none. um, And he fought the best of the best in their prime and beat them um, and avenged both his losses. Uh, But John Jones is the greatest mixed martial arts athlete of all time. And to do what he did, to come up to heavyweight and beat a huge heavyweight like Cyril Garn and just maul him. Completely mm. destroy him, ruin him. Uh, just goes to show what type of athlete he is. But then now, as fans, can he do that against Tom Aspinall? Yeah. Can he do that against Deep Amiocic? That's the question. And, you know, like his injury came at the worst possible time. Yeah, were you a bit disappointed with that fight? Were you wanting to see it go longer? The, the, the Garn, heavyweight, uh, Gunn uh, Jones fight. Well, I thought I wanted to see Gun kick John Jones's legs because he's always had chicken legs, and I just thought Garnet distance was an interesting um, proposition for Jones. But look, Jones showed he never had any interest in standing. He knew where he was dominant and just put Garnet uh, Garn to the sword with, um, you know, with his takedown game, top game, you know, choke game over. Yeah, yeah. It was a nasty guillotine
6: or mm-hmm. second. It's only to the one that he did on um, Leonardo, Leonardo
0: Machida. Machida. Yeah. That was, oh, I, I'm, I'm shivering how bad it was just thinking about it. Indeed, indeed. Um, and, of course, um, the retirement of Amanda Nunez, um, is the featherweight women's division done? Yeah.
6: Yeah. I reckon. Because it, it was made to make the match between her Cyborg. and Chris Cyborg. Yeah. yeah. And there's no one else at that weight in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, all right, we'll, so he'll
6: probably he'll probably scrap it.
0: We we'll put a line through that bantamweight title on the line at the next pay per view. Uh, Silver Bianca Silver versus Raquel Pennington. Um, just don't know, man. I think I think that that division outside of Holly Holm is like shouting out, and she's towards the back end of her career, is shouting out for for a superstar. I know they've got a couple of good young fighters at, at one thirty five, but you know, gone are the days of Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, um, you know, Amanda Nunes. You know, it's um, it's a division crying out for some new blood. Because um, that's probably the division I'm
6: followed the least, yep. and I'm probably a bit um, iffy on my knowledge. But is that because um, when's Pena coming back?
0: Juliana Pena is the, I guess, the one. She's 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 looking to fight, uh, and and she's actually said UFC 300 would would be something right. she like to fight yeah. at. So, look, I think if 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 you know that's a potential title fight on 300. If if the winner comes through unscathed, Juliana Pena arguably is the star of that division, um, but. I question actually her ability, whether or not she's actually at the level of. I just think the one, the other divisions in women's MMA are awesome. One twenty five, one fifteen are both phenomenal. Um, Alexa Grasso has added new light to that division, um, beating Valentina Shevchenko once and drawing with her a second time. And the one fifteen division, Wei Li Zhang, uh, you know, there's tremendous fights over there. So I think there's no issue there. But yeah, I think I think the UFC needs to go on like a, a hunt for some one thirty five women's fighters. And um, finally, before we move on to potential fight of the year. Um, Um, The flyweight division as well, Alex Pantoja defeating Brandon Moreno, and he's sort of come out of this as, you know, like, I I get Charles Oliveira vibes with Alex Pantoja, where he's willing to put himself in danger, and he's become a very exciting fighter. Like, the Alex Pantoja that beat Kaikara France in the uh, ultimate fighter house five or six years ago is not the bloke that's carrying gold at the moment.
6: That um I put his fight against Brandon Marino as one of the fights of the year for yes. me. Um, so I, that whole card was fantastic for me. That's my card of the year. Yeah. Um, but we talk. We'll be, we'll be talking about that later. Uh yeah. He just that last fight where he defended his title. It was he just comes out gas from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and his grappling is also quite fan friendly as well. He yeah. doesn't just sit there and kind of start mauling. He looks to uh, win. Yeah, and yeah. it's um, it's exciting. Even then people say that the, there's no power in that division and. I mean, you can make that case, but he also proves that he can make exciting fights without the need for knockout power.
0: Yeah, Kai would be the biggest puncher in that division. Yeah. Uh, and that division's so close that Kai's a win away. I know that he's lost a couple in a row, but look, let's be honest, he didn't lose that Albazi fight, just a couple of judges thought he did. I'm um, staying on Alex Pantoja. For me, uh, Paddy, He's my fighter of the year, um, fighter of the year con- contender against uh, Moreno. Tremendous five-round performance against Brandon Ravel. There are other contenders as well. Totally get it, but I think a year ago, if we'd said that Alex Pantoja was going to be flyweight champion, at defender's belt once in a fight, and then you know defeated Moreno in a fight of the year, I don't think a lot of people would have seen that coming. Um, there are other contenders, absolutely, but he's just kind of come out of nowhere this year for me, and has become an enjoyable guy to watch, as we just mentioned. But for you, is there is there anyone that stands out? Uh, I- I've written down a few names. Sean Strickland, uh, Islam Makhachev, who beat Volkanovski twice, which is no easy task. Leon Edwards, uh, but his performance against Covington was flat. Um, and oh. Alexa, Alexa Grasso fighting Shevchenko twice as well.
6: I'd say I've got to argue with you on that Leon Edwards' performance yeah. other than to talk about my favourite fighter because he outgrappled one of the best American wrestlers in um, that weight class. Yeah. And, and he beat him in his own game, took him down. Um, and just that alone, um, I think it's not fair to say that his performance was flat yeah
0: I just uh, to me he could have and look I know that you know the GSP syndrome is you do enough to, to, to win you dominate someone um, and then you don't take any adverse risk. GSP's knockout loss to Matt Serra changed the course of his career, and he barely ever got touched again in, in, the, in the next ten fights of his life. But I, Leon was so dominant against Covington. Covington posed no threat on the feet to Leon Edwards. I, I just feel like he could have put him to the sword. On um, there were times in that fight where I felt Colby was was willing to potentially get out of there with 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 a with a flurry from Leon. But look, it, it was a dominant performance. Uh, he's a very very good champion. Um, and he's a lot of people saying oh Bilal Muhammad's going to walk right through him I can't see that happening Leon is tremendous on the ground Um, he got tremendous takedown defense and is the best striker in the division but I just felt like he could have done a little bit more stake his claim and for a guy that had said what he said about him in the the pre-fight I kind of felt like Leon could have ended him
6: yeah, I mean, okay, yes, I reckon you can say he could do more, yeah. but I definitely think he did enough. It's yeah. not like it's the you need to beat the champ
0: situation. No, like he, he definitely won that fight. Oh, he, he won it clearly. Yeah. Um, I think the last round maybe you could give to Colby, but um, for me as well. Mm. Um, what, what about Sean Strickland as a fighter of the year?
6: He would probably be my fighter of the year. Um, I went in not liking the guy. <laughs> yes. um, I sat in a room with him for an hour, uh, let him talk. Like he He's definitely a character. Um, he does suffer from being clipped a lot. So, a lot of the things he said is. They're Coach definitely like, outrageous yeah. um, when they're said in isolation. He does walk back a lot of the things he says. Yeah. Um, and he kind of. He definitely stands up like he's a no nonsense guy. Like that. Drekus egged him on and he just turned around, s- asked.
0: S- excuse me. Yeah.
6: <laughs> he said that's a Gilbert Burns' family and then just jumps on him. And even Drekus has no hard feelings about it. He's like, yeah, I egged him on and he took it like a man. So. Good on him. How do you see that fight playing out? Oh, I'm, I'm excited for that fight because I, I feel like it could go either way because Dreykus will probably try to take him down because mm. Sean Strickland's a very upright person. But Sean Strickland, will he will probably utilize the same strategy he used against Izzy where he will bite on everything, yeah, um, which will make uh, Dreykus, um apprehensive of coming in. I um, think
0: if it gets to the championship round, Strickland wins. Um, I I know that Drickus has had his no surgery <laughs> I was about
6: to make that and, and
0: all this jazz but the fact of the matter is that bad cardio is bad cardio and Drickus Duplissy has never shown the ability um, past the second round in some fights uh, to be able to, to carry himself and Strickland has arguably the best cardio at middleweight mm-hmm. like the dude could go for 20 rounds if he has to um, which, which, which is interesting. like, I, look, I think, I think Drickus has a path to victory, no doubt about it. And Strickland does get clipped. Um, you mentioned his sound bites, but he does get clipped and, and fights um, in terms of hands. So, but that fight's really interesting to me. Uh, really, really interesting. Um, and, and a bit more on, on who the winner might fight um, uh, a little bit, in a, a little bit of time. And on Drickus, too, per for me, the breakout fighter of the year. Yeah, his his of stock, Rob. his stock from where he was twelve months ago, where he was just this cocky South African guy calling out Israel. Ades- Sanya um, to where he is now. The demolition of Robert Whitaker, as you mentioned, um, and he's he's managed to talk himself um, and through his personality and his charisma into being one of the UFC's probably top fifteen stars uh, in the division. And and if he does in, in the in the in the organisation, and if he does win this bout. I mean, they could they could book a fight in Johannesburg, couldn't they, and, and have one of the biggest UFC cards of all time?
6: Yeah, it would go off. It would bring in that South African market. And if Cameron Simon as well starts stringing some wins together, yeah, um, I can just see it blowing up. And then they'll probably extend to the wider African market as well. Um, I imagine there's still a lot of fans in Nigeria as well. Yeah.
0: Thoughts on Ila Tapuria? <sighs>
6: It's a shame he hasn't been that active since he um, beat Josh Emmett.
0: Destroyed Josh
6: uh, yeah, Emmett. Absolutely. He, he destroyed Josh Emmett as much as Josh Emmett destroyed Bryce Mitchell. In a different way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was because I hadn't really heard of him up until then. To me, he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I wasn't following the – I definitely I watched the top five of each division a lot more closely than I watched the rest of the True. five to me uh, too. 15. Um, and then, yeah, he just kind of absolutely demolished him. And Josh Emmett's no joke. No. Um, and just the that loss, that last loss to Volk, yeah. uh, just has me has me worried.
0: I have a philosophy though. I feel like every featherweight needs to go through Max Holloway before they get to Alex. He is Alex Volkanovski's gatekeeper, and Ila Topuria in a stacked division has got himself a title fight without having fought Brian Ortega. Um, the me- Mexican kid, name escapes me, um, it tremendous fighter.
6: Al Pente- yeah, Pente- Um Yair Rodriguez. Yeah,
0: Yair Rodriguez. Um, so Tapuri hasn't fought Holloway, Ortega, Rodriguez. I know Korean Zombies retired, but hasn't fought him as well. Look, the win over Josh Emmett was sensational. But to get a heavyweight fight without having to beat those three dudes who have all had tried and tested fights with Volkanovski and come up short, kind of like it's like a free pass. Yeah,
6: that's a, that's a very very valid point. I disagree with the Holloway part though, because then that's just how you keep
0: getting. Um, well, he's going to knock down every challenger, isn't he? But, but then <laughs> what do you do with him? Like, you a have to give him there. another
6: title fight. Yeah, and um, no one wants to see that. Even he's acknowledged. He's just like, I can see why they don't want to do that anymore. I'm just here for the fun fights now. Yeah,
0: um, I I think there is a distinct opportunity that Max Holloway ends 2024 as the as the featherweight champ. I can see Ilia has a path to victory against Volk, specifically if Volk engages in some sort of striking battle, because um, Topuria's striking is off the chart. Max Holloway is the next cab off the rank if anyone other than Volkanovski holds 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 the featherweight title. And to me, that there, there is a there is a scenario where Max, arguably one of the great, well, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, uh, pound for pound second greatest uh, featherweight of all time. I can see that happening. I
6: also had this conversation somewhat recently and I actually got real excited from it and the thing that I like about the featherweight division the most is I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure since it started there's only been four champions Aldo Aldo Connor Connor Holloway and Vogue indeed and then it would that means it would stay oh no because that means earlier becomes number five but um, still only having five champions for Mm. uh,
0: how long it hasn't been around for 30 years Uh, it's
6: uh, 10.
0: 10 years, yeah. yeah,
6: that's nuts.
0: Yeah, yeah, Aldo, uh, once the UFC purchased WEC, they purchased WEC for two people, Uriah Faber, uh, or actually three, dominant Cruz, Uriah Faber, and uh, and uh, Jose Aldo, and uh, yeah, the, the rest is history, great, great champion. All right, fights of the year. I know you've got one in, that you mentioned earlier, which was Moreno versus Pantoja, but for me, um, there's two clear standouts, and I really love that fight. I think it was the best title fight of the year. I thought it was... Just brutal. It was it was awesome. Moreno scramble game off the chart. But Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, um, which was at the very very back end of twenty two. I, I, I believe know, it was it was like December, late December twenty two, if, if memory yeah, serves. Yeah, yes, it um, was. So I kind of cheating by saying yeah. that. Um, and, and if not, if, if you're not willing to accept that, Patty, then Gaethje Fizeev, which was um, any Justin Gaethje fight is going to be a fight of the year candidate uh, I don't know if you saw that fight but I it was did, yeah. it was brutality personified and showed to me why Justin Gaethje is one of the very best in the world and he was patient yeah um, and that was Scary a surprise patient. everyone
6: was saying Fazeev is up and coming and was going to beat him and then I he, thought was he was patient he just picked off that one I can't remember if it was his left eye or his right eye yeah. he just kept striking that eye until it just blew up and he couldn't see out of it um, it was a masterclass. Yeah. And then to then follow up against um, Dustin Poirier for their rematch and yeah. knock him out with that head kick. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't pick that one as
0: um well, it was, of was it was probably knockout of the year. Um, and it yeah. was, look, it was a great fight while it lasted. But I kind of feel with great fights, you know, like to sort of go three, two and a half rounds, men, you know, like a round and a half fight, um, not for me. All right. I yeah, think, um,
6: oh, just a quick one on the yes. Poirier-Chandler fight. Um, so that was, there was a festival in Auckland that weekend. Well, Dan Hooker fought on that card. Um, he, did he? Yeah, he beat, um... Poo, Poo years oh right yeah. yep yep because that's, that's a card that Izzy, um, Izzy got not, like, lost yeah yep. um, and then so I was in the middle of the match with the UFC on my phone and then it started um, chopping up a bit too much because yep. there's too many people so I went and watched the um, headline fight off on a hill yeah um, yeah when Izzy lost I was like oh, well at least I can see Macklemore
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that uh, luxury um, for me that that Izzy fight Um, he fought a perfect fight for four and a half minutes uh, and lost upset of the year for me there's no contender it's Alexa Grasso beating arguably the greatest woman's fighter of all time, probably next to Amanda Nunes um, and Shevchenko, and then coming out in the second fight and managing to draw with her um, just goes to show what a tremendous gear that Alexa Grasso has, and that was a huge upset of epic proportions.
6: Did you hear what she said at the end of that fight to Daniel Cormier? No. She said, blah, 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 yeah, I won, and then Daniel's like, no, it, it was, was a, a draw. It was a draw, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You this, retained. The, the, the second fight, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but that first fight, yeah, major upset. Yeah. Um, when she took her back... Um, and it wasn't even like under the throat, um, mm. around her neck, it was on her jaw, and when she released it, did you see how white it was? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, um, Grasso's coach told her, um, count, and every time you count, like one, got one, you squeeze, and she said she got to like 12, or something like that, before Grasso, wow. um, Shevchenko tapped. Wow. Yeah. No thanks. So,
0: as we look ahead to, to 2024, um, I've put 23 in my notes, um, just can't get out of this whole 2024 thing, um, obviously, the, the there's two things to look out for, the return of, uh, Conor McGregor which we know now in, in air quotes is going to be International Fight Week in June are you going to go? Uh,
6: no because I'm going to go to 300
0: okay yeah. you're going to
6: 300 uh, I have already I'm waiting for the application
0: to be approved you'll get but, it mate yeah, yeah. I, I I think probably you and Reeve will probably end up being in RAV so I think New Zealand will have some good and look there could be a Kiwi in the main event well, well RAV and Reeve will only go if um, there are Kiwis Yes. Because when I went to Perth, I was the only one there. Right, right. Um, be interesting to see how that plays out. But UFC 300, and um, I've written down some fights, and I want to see where, where you're at with that. Um, I thought that Connor Chandler was going to main event that card um, and that there'd be four title fights underneath them. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I know there's been some fights announced. Um, Prochaka Rakic... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that even makes the main card because oh, because Dana sort of talked about um, you're going to look at this card and go why are these guys fighting in the first fight? I think Bo Nichols on I think he's probably going to open the card, Bo Nichols. But um, some main event possibilities that I've, I've jotted down: um, Leon Edwards, Bilal Muhammad. I don't think that's sexy enough to main event. No, I agree. Of- Markovic Gaichi is. Ooh, is but, he, he's, he, with the BMF title he'll be next in line eh? yes but yeah. but the UFC will tend to have the heaviest weight main eventing um, and men over women as well um, Poye Diaz for a marquee fight um, is, is a potential Nate Diaz has kind of shown interest in UFC 300 if the right fight comes along Dustin Poirier is the right fight for me so that that to me is a fan friendly fight that I'm all for I saw another rematch for 300
6: um, that was Diaz um, Masvidal Really? So they bring number two because <laughs> obviously they fought for the BMF title the first time. Yeah, um, open the main
0: card with that. Thank you very much. That Sign would be me up. Spectacular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alexa Grasso and Shavchenko three. It's, yeah, I mean, there's there's reason to do that fight. I think you need a marquee woman's fight on the card. I thought if Ronda Rousey had come back, you could have done me to take Ronda Rousey. But apparently, Ronda, although there was a rumor that she put herself into the um into the do, doping pool, like um, to, um, which is of course the the stuff around Connor, But but there were rumors about that. But there's been no inclination from Dana White that that Ronda Rousey's returning. I thought Ronda Rousey, and Misha Tate would have been a lot for UFC 300. But that would have been amazing. Yeah. Because who was, what was the last
6: big comeback for 200? Brock Lesnar, right? Yeah. It was to I, be. I
0: thought that's what that it was Brock and Mark Hunt, right, which ended up actually main eventing the card, which wasn't the original plan because Jones Cormier was the original plan. It ended up being John Jones versus Anderson Silva, Misha Tate, um, Amanda Nunes. That card was sick, by the way, like Diego Sanchez and people like that were fighting in the first fights of the night. But in the last couple of days, there has been... Chael Sonnen and Daniel Cormier have both thrown this out, and Chael Sonnen has pretty good intel, right? Doesn't get a lot wrong. He believes that the main event of UFC 300 will be for the middleweight title between the winner of Strickland and Duplessis, if they really come out fit, and Israel Adesanya. Because now that Connor has been announced for UFC 302, the biggest, next biggest name in the company is Izzy Adesanya. Can you see that happening? I also saw that video of Chael Sonnen saying that.
6: Um, I can see that happening. Um, there's definitely, uh, it's the, but they both want that fight, um, as in both Strickland and um, Duplisey and Duplisey, because uh, Chael, I believe, said he wants Izzy to come out and say, Before "I want the, the winner." Yeah, and yep. otherwise it looks like he's picking, yep. um, which very valid point to make. Which he also he also said that that's not Izzy, which I agree. Izzy just takes whoever's there. Yeah. Um, the movements from watching his social media and stuff as well. I am kind of getting the vibe. He's They're gearing up. up. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, he has been traveling in the last. He
0: talked about it last week. He was interviewed at Day of Reckoning, and he goes, you know, basically said, "I got a secret." Like, was was what he was alluding to? There. Yeah, you know. But,
6: but he knows how to work social media as well. Did you see the um, the Black Friday sale for Engage? No, it was um, him versus. Uh, Pereira and Volkanovski versus Teporia on the same card um, but it was the poster for their Black Friday sale and everyone's like oh my god is this UFC 300 and yeah. I was like no no these guys are just good at marketing Yeah. Um, I mean yeah
0: and obviously that's not happening because Pereira's like I've moved on yeah. I offered him the fight he didn't want it yeah that's a fight they could make they could do the light heavyweight title Izzy and Pereira and that would main event look I, I think the fights that I mentioned I think Edwards Bilal was going to be on UFC 300 I think that uh, that that attracts the UK audience. Bilal Muhammad deserves this fight. Um, there's also talk that they could do Edwards Makachev. Justin Gaethje deserves the title fight, you need to give that man his belt. I think Makachev Gaethje is 100% gonna be on your c 300 as well, potentially as the co if he's the main. And I think that's a big enough fight in Markachev Gaethje that it could main event the card um, you know, best pound for pound fighter in the world, and Makachev against the most, the highlight reel of the UFC. If Izzy doesn't make the card, but I, I don't know, man. I just have a sneaking, and I've reached out to a couple of people, and no one's replied to me. Um, but I just have a sneaky feeling that that Adesanya has been convinced. He's probably been paid a lot of money. Yeah. To they, they need, they need their biggest star on this card, and with Conor not in the title fight, they need Israel Adesanya. Oh. What do you think of this
6: idea for three hundred? The whole main card title fights, five title fights.
0: I, I think it's possible, but unlikely because of time constraints with pay per view. Um, oh, and it's five rounds, yeah, c- correct. I think you'll see at least three. There was three on 300. Well, there was going to be three before uh, the on 200, you mean on no, 200 before yeah. John Jones um, was done for doping the dope. Uh, I think you'll see three, possibly four. See, I envision three title fights with Chandler McGregor, five round main event, um, you know, and and then potentially, you know, but I, I yeah. I think you could, you definitely see three. Wouldn't be surprised if there's four, but then you also have to think they have to think ahead to three hundred one, three hundred three. You know, like I know they've booked up to two nine nine, right? So they also have to start thinking about what's coming up after that, and you can't leave yourself short. Um, you know, we haven't even mentioned Wei Li Zhang. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and and there's talk that they want to do three hundred three in China, so I'd imagine that that's probably where they're going with that. But yeah, three three title fights, one hundred percent will happen, and then there'll be that big marquee fight. I chucked out Poye and Diaz. I think Nate Diaz makes that card somehow. Somehow, someway, Nate Diaz is on UFC 300. I don't know how who he fights. Masvidal and Poirier are the only two guys that make sense. Can you guess who, um, who I want to see the most?
6: Who will be on 300? Who has to be on 300? That's the biggest clue. Jim Miller? Jim Miller. Yeah, because he's on
0: 100. But I think Joe Lozon might be in that category as well, um, potentially. Uh, well, he knows, was I think Jim Miller's the only one. Right. So Joe was. I think Joe might have been on 99, 200, and could be on 300. And why not? Jim Miller and Joe Lozon have fought before, twice, the last time they fought was twenty sixteen. They're the two longest serving fighters. Uh, are the other one, um, but you know, Chuck, give give Jim Miller needs the rub and Joe Lozo and Jim Miller, sign me up. I'm do you know who there. the other one who got put forward? Uh, Paul Felder, because he's back in the pool. Yeah, and he wanted to do one more fight.
6: Yeah, who was it that did the? Someone inspired him. I think it was. It was um. Uh, yeah. No.
0: No. Uh, it, it was someone coming off like the, coming off the couch on two weeks' notice and fought like a champion. I, I, Glover maybe. No. Yeah, I, I um, can't remember who it was, but I totally know where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to see that fight, Felder. Was um, it Rafael de Anjos? I think no. came off the couch on two weeks. It was, it was someone like that that came off the couch on two weeks' notice. Um, Fowler on that card makes sense as well. All right, we do have to wrap it up, but I just want to get to a couple of things. Um, McGregor, Chandler, chances that fight goes ahead on the date that, that they've announced.
6: Oh, I reckon. I'm like, This has seen this happen too many times. I'm not hopeful. I'll believe it when I see it. When Dana announces it, I'll believe it. Yeah. No, I don't believe anything that comes out of so Conor's It's sure no. as
0: hell not going to happen at 185. That makes no. Oh. I, mean, I mean, McGregor's <clears throat> juiced himself up to the point where, like, he, he looks like a 185er, but I can't can't see that happening. Um, Mid year return for John Jones. Who does he fight? Aspinall or Stephen? I think he fights. Um, uh, Asp- Oh, sorry, Miocic. Right. Yeah. Does Israel Adesanya in twenty four as a world champion? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I.
6: If uh, Drakus but wins, I think he does. If yeah. he um if Dracus doesn't win, I don't think he does. I think he needs the fire under him. Um to well, of the Drickus Duplessis of the uh, uh, Strickland again, he'll just want to get the loss back. And um and I feel like that's not that personal. The think- whole Africa um storyline thing that happened yeah. that was real personal and that kind of. Man, he was geared up for that fight and he before was. it fell
0: through. There, there's a world where he could end the, the year fighting for the light heavyweight title as well as middleweight champion. And um, finally, the potential rise of the PFL-Balotor merger um, and their aggressiveness on what they say they're going to do in free agency. Um, we know they've got Francis Ngannou. They have a couple of other of the top you know, fighters in the world, including Pitbull and, um, uh, and Asmanov, I think it is, and Johnny Eblom, who a lot of people think is the best 185-pounder in the world. Can they make a hit? I reckon they've definitely got a market because, um, I mean, one one
6: championship does also very, very well. Yes. Um, I just think too many middle-of-the-range fighters from the UFC are going over there and then just dismantling everybody. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest thing that's showing there really is a level difference between UFC Correct. fighters and the Bellator and PFL fighters. Um it's the, the fact that they still do the contests is kind of cool yeah um, it would be cool if UFC brought back their tournaments, um, tournaments. yeah um, agreed but then they're thrashing their athletes yeah um yeah, it's, that's a, it's a, hopefully. Like, even though Dana says he doesn't like them, he encourages competition, and yeah. I want them to do well because I want what's best for the athletes. Yeah, because they, they are putting their well their well being on the line to entertain these people. They need
0: to find someone to find Francis and um and you know Derek Lewis, who I thought was going to be just sign a five year five fight deal with the UFC. Patty, squared up MMA, an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Um, always love having you on the show. Thank you for having me on Anytime, any mate. My guy, my guy. Twenty eight away from two, we're about forty minutes behind on breaks. Um, we'll take one now. 24 away from 2, home run stretch here uh, on uh, summer day. Stephen McIver with you guys from 2 till 6 I believe. He's got uh, Monique Barry who uh, lost in her first round match at the ASB Classic yesterday. Also Aaron Routloff who's playing tonight um, is on his show as well. Plus the National Bowls champs are underway, Kevin Hickland will be along with Stephen as well. We are behind on breaks, I apologise for that. Uh, David Long not too far away from the ASB Classic. We'll get a rundown of what the action looks like today next here on SENZ. 19 away from 2, almost uh, time to wrap things up, Stephen McIver on the show from 2 till 6 and a big part of his show will be the ASB Tennis Classic, updating you with the scores throughout the days, also chatting to Monique Barry um, and Aaron Routliff and on the show right now, stuff uh, reporter and a long time tennis uh, reporter, David Long, David Happy New Year my friend, how are you?
7: Yeah, hi there, Brad. Happy to hear to you. I'm all good thanks.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. I did see a photo that you and um, the esteemed Michael Burjo Burgess posted the other day. What is it, 20, 20 odd years you two are calling the uh, summer of tennis um, for, for your respective publications? Well,
7: that's right, yeah. I mean, I do both put my seniority over him. I've been doing it since 2001, and then he's a <laughs> few years after me. So he's still just a junior um, compared to me, I like to think.
0: Does it does it feel like something's missing when Matt Brown's not there? He's just he actually went to Anfield this morning to watch Newcastle and Liverpool play which I'm sorry you enjoyed a lot but must must feel kind of weird now that Brown is out of the media game.
7: It's very quiet. I can <laughs> say that quite uh, confidently. It's a lot a lot quieter around around here now that he's not here so and a lot more sort of calmer. So uh you know it was, Matt was always great to have him around here and enthusiasm, reports to everything, but yeah, definitely it's a lot more peaceful
0: here now. Indeed, you wouldn't find a more passionate tennis man than Brownie. Uh, yesterday, you mentioned Monique Barry, she's on with um, Stephen MacGyver just after 2 o'clock. Uh, what did you make of her performance? It seemed to me a case if she'd managed to squeeze that tie break, she probably could have gone on and won that game. Yeah,
7: definitely. I mean, that was that was the turning point for the match, and oh, you often see when um, you know inexperienced players play someone um, with, with far more experience and a far high ranking that you know they're hanging there for one set, and if it doesn't it doesn't quite go their way, they can lose that that second set uh, quite badly. It wasn't the case. She won that second set 6-2. Uh, it was tight for quite a while, um, but then she did sort of um, fall away a bit at the end. But it was a, a really impressive performance on the league, and uh, you know I think she surprised a lot of people about yeah. how well she played because her results. Um, uh, through last year on the ITF circuit, weren't that impressive, really, to be honest. Um, and she's she done like six, six four nine in the world rankings, and it, mm. it, you know a lot of people were, were sort of fearing this could be a six one six love or something like that match. And you know, and credit to her, she she uh, raised the game. And, and she, as she said to me afterwards, you know, she wanted to go. If she was going to lose, she wanted to go down fighting. And she and she played aggressive. She attacked attacked whatever she could, and uh, you know, and it worked really well for her. I just hope now that she can take confidence from it and belief. Uh, from her performance here and then when she goes back onto the ITF circuit, you know, she can have this mm. momentum uh, and belief and then go on and try and get her ranking back up so that, um, you know, she can be back here again and, you know, maybe one day get in, into the main draw for her own ranking.
0: So no obvious upsets on day one. I'm sure the tournament organisers stoked that Amanda Anasimova uh, dodged the bullet in her first round as well um, but everything according to plan and for you for day one?
7: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was... Um, it was quite a long day, really. It was supposed to be mm. sort of quiet for the ease into the tournament, but there were three um, long, three-set matches in the middle of the day. And the over, um, against uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova match was, was, on paper, it looked like the, the best match of the van. It was a fantastic match. The only just disappointment was because everything else went so long um, that by the time that they came on court, um, a lot of people were already left because it was getting a bit chilly. So um yeah it was disappointing that it wasn't a big crowd for it but understandable but it was a great match and it was fantastic to see Alison Moba playing as well as she was in her first match uh since um april with her first win on the wta tour since february um you know she's been through a lot um she's had a uh some mental health issues which she needed to sort out but she you know she feels like she's ready to be be back on the tour and, and it was a it was fantastic to see See her, you know not just her only back, but to, to see her back playing well like you did last night.
0: David, I look at today's draw and I see names Petra Martic, Coco Goff, Evelina Svitolina, Caroline Wozniaki, Emi Raducanu. You've watched a lot of women's tennis on Centre Court there um, on the old Stanley Street. Has there been a more jam-packed day of talent than what we're going to see th- uh, this afternoon and this evening?
7: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I, I've mentioned this before in my stories. I think this is a I've never seen so many big name players um, all play on one day like there is here. You know, sometimes you have a you have two or three big names in the draw, and we've, and we've seen that in the past. But to have, you know, four absolute superstars all playing on one day, uh, you know, it, it's it's fantastic and it's, it's 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 really good for the tournament. And not only that, we've also got Erin Routliffe in the doubles Indeed. Uh, tonight, and we've also just had uh, Lulu Sun, Tiarny, uh, Australia's greatest ever tennis player, win her uh, first round match on an outside court. This Brilliant. Morning. So. Yeah, it's great to see her out in the second round of the tournament.
0: That's that's fantastic. Um, the highlight, obviously, today, um, aside from the fact that we're going to see the, the one of the best women's players in the world in Coco Golf on center court, as Wozniaki and, is and Um I know it's a it's a tournament director's worst nightmare when the wild card draws uh, the second seed, um, but that's the game that you play, I guess. Uh, but what a, a, a tremendous game of tennis you're going to get to witness this afternoon.
7: It will be. It will be fantastic. I was sitting not far away from uh, Nicholas Lamparin when the draw was being done, and we've seen all the names come out, and both sort of looking and realising that um, uh, Raducanu and uh, Wozniacki still hadn't come out, and we get really near to the bottom, and he looked over at me and started had a sort of <laughs> smile on his face, realising what might just happen here, and it, it ended up turning up just that way. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame in some ways that... Um, you know it's definitely worthy of being a final but also incredible for, for the tournament to have a, a blockbuster match like this uh, so early on in the tournament um, and you can sort of sort of the buzz around the place um with anticipation you know for that match you know not just for seeing toko today but for knowing people knowing they're going to see a real you know a real great match um too great for the game this afternoon
0: David, I only got a couple of minutes. Um, just, uh, and I, I don't really sort of understand the ins and outs of it, but I've seen some reports that this might be the last year where we do have real quality fields because of the prize money or the tournament ranking. Can you just sort of give us a little bit of an education on what that sort of chatter is around what the future is for these two tournaments?
7: Yeah. So, well, it's unchanged for the ATP, um, there's um, for the ATP, Nicholas Sampras can get whoever he wants, where right. much money he wants to pay, he can get, he can get. Um, Medvedev, uh, Djokovic, Alcaraz down there if he had enough money for it. But from this year, so it's actually started this week, WTA rule is that you're only allowed, you're not allowed for WTA 250 tournament, which is at the classics level, you're not allowed any top 10 players or uh, only two players between 11 and 30 in the world ranking. And those players between 11 and 30 can only play in two WTA 50s a year. But the thing is, there is an exemption for defending champions to come back. So Coco was allowed to come back because she won this tournament last year, so the tournament needs Coco or Alina or someone like that to win this week. Mm. Otherwise, it's more than you know. It's, they can't, they can't come back again next year.
0: But so, I, I, uh, I guess in, in saying that, though, like um, that's the chance to bring Wozniaki and maybe like Azarenka and people like that who aren't within sort of the top. So so there is a I guess there's a silver lining there. But you're right. Like you want a Coco Goff to almost win this thing back to back to back. <laughs>
7: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's the thing about women's tennis. It was one, Nico Lapierre's not. You know, he's. I. He. it he, 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 he wasn't like this, but he's not overly concerned because there is that fluctuation in women's tennis, yeah. and not always um, the biggest names are in the top ten. You know, you, you can get a lot of players in the top ten who could come here, and and no one would really know that well, to be yeah. honest, unless you're a big tennis fan. Whereas, you know, he's been able to pull in, uh, Anisimova, Wozniaki Raducanu, you know, all well, well down in the rankings, but all you know, really, really big names. So you know, it's it makes it harder for him how the the rule is going to be. And you know, they've talk that the WTA are going to look at it uh, in the next six months and decide whether they want to keep it or not. And um, we'll see. Then the players are against it because they want they want to play all around the world uh, t- tournaments where they can get a, get appearance fees and they can come here and get a lot of money by... By signing up the top ten players, but um, that's that's they stopped from doing that under this new rule. So the players are against it. We just have to wait and see what the WTA decide later in the year. All
0: right, David. Look, enjoy the day, man. I know that you'll be buzzing. Um, you're going to be witness to what is going to be a sensational day of women's tennis, man. I am envious. Um, and, and have a have a great afternoon.
7: Yeah. Thanks so much, Brad. All the best.
0: Thank you. That's David Long from Stuff. You can read his stuff at stuff stuff.co.nz, one of the premier uh, sports writers around the country. Uh, it is 10 away from 2. We'll wrap the show next. Five away from two, which means five away from the big show, Stephen McIver. <laughs> hey, man. Um, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Stephen. And, <laughs> mate, you've uh, got Monique Barry on the show in a, about 15 minutes' time. Yeah,
8: about around 2.15. Just uh, thought we'd chat to the young New Zealand up one who won that one-only match uh, to get in the wild card of the ASP Classic. Got beaten yesterday. Mm. And, um, yeah, she sounds like she's a, a really strong young lady. She was 500 below, took, went to a 2 lovely, and then, you know, it's a d- – the tennis – tour is a grind. Yeah. And when you go from an ITF into the WTO or the uh, ITF into uh, the ATP, mm. the, the level changes dramatically. I
0: feel like if she'd won that tie break, she might have been a, a sneaky yep. chance to win that oh, game. Well, Dave, David Long just said pretty much the same thing that he felt she was probably on course to win. If but she it's won. just good.
8: It's just yeah. good that we have New Zealanders on court. KP Panu will mm. be the men's wild card. Uh, it's, it's a shame we don't have the likes of Ajit Rai getting in there or even even good old Ruben at 36 who's playing yeah. new mirror at the Moment of trying to qualify a new mayor at the moment uh, to do stuff. But no, no, it's, it's hey, it's January, it's tennis time, right? And uh, it is. You got a bit of bowls today as well. Uh, the, Kevin the, Hickland, great the, Kevin the great Kevin Hickley. The great Kevin He's just one of the good guys. Uh, so the Somerset Nationals are in Christchurch and they go right through to the end of next week and they're qualifying today. So we're going to have an update report from him every every hour just to see what's going on. Plus, we're going to go to mm-hmm. uh and Ben Goffin's the head lifeguard at the Whangamata Surf Club. Brilliant. And they had a fundraiser yesterday to raise the money, as you do. Uh, but I just want to check on what the conditions are like and, and what people are
0: or aren't doing uh, for water safety. So that's coming up after two, baby. Cannot cannot wait. Robbie, thank you. You absolute legend. Uh, Stephen McIver, Joe Bell, taking you through to six o'clock.